Very pleased to have on the program today our esteemed congressman in District 4, Tom Cole. Tom, thanks for coming in today. Hey, it's fantastic to be here in Chickasha. Yeah, to spend some time in town this week uh, visiting with uh, our business uh, representatives down got, at the chamber. And we got several of uh, meetings in there, also law enforcement, uh, you know, your new sheriff, and uh, going to meet the new city manager. And uh, so uh, it'll be a pretty good trip. And then obviously kind of give a legislative update to the chamber. Well, let's talk about uh, the new Congress, uh, just uh, going for a couple of months now, just a little over six weeks now, I guess. Yeah, as you and I were discussing earlier, it's a very new Congress uh, because everybody's in a new position. The Republican leadership, while they've been leaders of the Republican minority, they're all in positions, or mostly in positions they never had. Uh, Kevin McCarthy's never been Speaker before. He is now. Uh, Our majority leader, Steve Scalise from Louisiana, has never held that job. He was the whip. Now he's that. Our new whip, Tom Emmer, was head of the Republican campaign committee. And the only one that's in the same spot is Elise Stefanik. She was conference chair in the minority, but now the majority, so that's a little bit new. On the Democratic side, the change is even greater. Uh, You know, uh, former Speaker Pelosi is still in Congress, but no longer the Democratic leader. So that's the first time in 20 years. Uh, Steny Hoyer, who was her majority leader, uh, held that job both in minority and majority for 20 years. He's uh, no longer in that position. Uh, Jim Clyburn, a pretty influential guy because he probably did more than anybody else to make uh, President Biden president in the Democratic primary, uh, had his leadership post for 16 years. He's no longer doing that. All three, are, again, are still in Congress, but uh, you know the sense is they're, they're all near the end of their careers. Uh, and then, uh, as I told you, one of the most stunning statistics to me, it's only been four years since Republicans controlled uh, the House of Representatives, but over 50 percent of our members have never been in the majority, which means they've been there four years or less. So it's a very new Congress. It began historically, the uh, first time in 100 years. We've had multiple votes for Speaker. It uh, took uh, 15 ballots and uh, four plus days. Happened early on Saturday morning. Um, and uh, that was pretty exciting to be part of. A little bit of horse trading going on there. But in the end, uh, I, you know, I was actually pretty uh, proud of McCarthy. He just hung in there and wore everybody out. And uh, there was never a plausible alternative. That is, there, there were about 20, 21 people that wanted to find somebody different, but they couldn't find anybody. Every time they'd nominate somebody, they nominated Jim Jordan from Ohio, and then he delivered the next nominating speech for McCarthy. Uh, they, nominated, you know, they nominated a number of people that just uh, he said, I, I don't want to do the job. I'm for him. And you know, the guys that you might have thought could challenge McCarthy is Steve Scalise, who's the number two guy. You know, or uh, there's a very uh, influential Republican from uh, Pat, named Patrick McHenry from uh, North Carolina's chair of financial services. They never emerged. Uh, you know, Kevin Hearn's name got he got nominated. He no, I'm for McCarthy, and you know he wouldn't wouldn't do it. Donald Trump got nominated. I mean, it was uh, they tried a, a lot of different ploys, but they could never shake the 200 people. So McCar- McCarthy always had 90 percent of support, and sooner or later. Uh, they were going to crack, and uh, toward the end of the week, they did. But uh, getting blamed for maybe uh, caving into some some of the more extreme Republicans that were. Yeah, we'll one, see what uh, happens. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, the speaker gets to appoint the committee that I chair. It doesn't go through a normal steering committee process. It's actually called the speaker's committee. Whoever's the speaker has nine appointments. Minority leader has four. 
Uh, so in one of the discussions, uh, some of this group wanted to get on that committee, uh, and they added actually people I, I regard as very good members, Tom Massey from Kentucky, uh, uh, Ralph Norman from South Carolina, uh, Chip Roy, who's kind of a firebrand from Texas, but they've all three been really good committee members. I mean, they've been voting with the speaker. Uh, they, they've not uh, done anything. And look, I, our job is to take bills that the Republicans favor and have come through committee and move them to the floor and decide what amendments make sense, what, uh, uh, you know, how, how much debate should be allowed, what points of order. You sort of shape the battlefield, the legislative battlefield. They've been very cooperative in all that. They've worked with the staff and with the speaker's office and the other leadership offices and the committee. So, again, we'll see how it goes. Um, uh, but so far, uh, things seem to be moving along. We're, we're we, you know, you'll you'll see the appropriations committees are all formed now. People are starting to do legislation. I think, uh, you know, we've got a, a hearing on the border uh, in the, the um, uh, judiciary committee uh, next week. Uh, we've got uh, one scheduled by the Homeland Security in March. So that border focus, which is a big issue uh, for us, is coming into focus. Once the president submits his budget, Republicans will have a counter budget offer, and then we'll start dividing up uh, the uh, the pie. And I suspect there'll be a lot of fights around that. You're going to hear a lot of, oh, my gosh, how can we survive this cut? And somehow we're running, you know, trillion-dollar deficits, but we can't cut any money. Come on. We're going to have to make some tough decisions. But, uh, you know, I think what we are really is what I would call the brakes on the car. You know, if you look at the last two years, uh, uh, Democrats spent $1.9 trillion in the American Rescue Plan. Uh, They spent $750 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act. They put a lot of extra money in infrastructure that was unpaid for. Those things aren't going to happen. We are going to reduce spending, uh, and we are going to try and reclaim some of the COVID money. We may not be able to do everything. We still have a Democratic Senate. We still have a Democratic president. It takes everybody to get stuff done. But we can stop things that happened last time. So we're sort of the brakes on the car, but the American people need to remember we still got the same driver, uh, President Biden, and we still got the same uh, engine. That's the United States Senate. The Democrats run that. So you're going to see some clashes, but that's kind of American politics. You know, our, our people tend to like divided government. They don't leave it in anybody's hands completely very long. Right. You, you usually get that for two to four years, and then you lose a House or you lose a presidential election. It just happens. Let's talk about uh, the president's uh, recent unannounced visit to the Ukraine uh, this last week. Kind of uh, a surprise to a lot of people. Well, I was very pleased. Uh, Look, I disagree with the president on a lot of issues, and uh, I'm not shy about pointing out where they are, whether it's the border, whether it's spending on the inflation front, uh, whether it's his attitude toward the domestic uh, fossil fuel industry, which is so important to us here in Oklahoma. But on Ukraine, I think it is very important that Ukraine uh, be successful. And I think uh, if, if I had any criticism to make, uh, it would be, number one, I think we encourage Putin to go in by our failure in Afghanistan, and I'd lay that directly at the president's feet. But helping the Ukrainians defend their territory and uh, protect themselves is a worthy endeavor for us. Uh, I actually visited Ukrainian troops uh, last week in Lawton. Uh, They're training down there on Patriot missiles. Uh, It's pretty inspiring to talk to them. Um, Our our people, uh, you know, we we can't do pictures or stuff because 
they're in combat and uh, we don't want them exposed. Uh, but uh, these are actually very good soldiers. They, they come straight from combat. They are air defenders themselves. They've been operating old Russian systems called S-300s. Uh, we now have given them a Patriot missile uh, capacity. It's not our most advanced, but it, uh, you know, I've told at Fort Sill, this is a good 70, 100% better than anything they've had to shoot at the Russian incoming drones and aircraft before. Um, but the most moving thing to me was the lieutenant colonel who took me through and introduced me to the Ukrainians uh, said, Congressman, uh, you're going to see something that I've never seen in my career. And this guy's been multiple deployed around the world, both uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and a variety of places. But he said, uh, remember, these people are coming directly from combat. They're going back directly into combat. And it's combat in their own country. He said, there's not a person out here who has not lost a friend or a family member uh, from, um, uh, you know, their, their time at war. And, and he said, well, one of the people you're going to meet, uh, you know, actually has lost uh, both his parents and his spouse in the last 11 months of the Russians. So these people train with a purpose. And he said, they, they know what's at stake. They know their country's on the line. And they're actually... We have a kind of accelerated training course because we want to get them back into combat as quickly as we can. But he said they're ahead of ahead of ground. They're, they're ahead partly because they're more experienced than you know the average American that starts training has never done any of this kind of work. They have, uh, so, but he said it's really mostly the attitude, the focus. You can imagine what it means to them to go back and defend their homeland. Obviously, uh, Russian President Putin not too happy with all this and. Uh... Uh, word that China's getting involved uh, in supporting Russia's effort. And what about the concerns about this escalating even further? Well, I am concerned, and I think people ought to be concerned. This is very dangerous. Uh, but let's be clear who started this. The Russians invaded Ukraine. Ukraine didn't provoke an invasion. Uh, and what happens if if Russia succeeds? Uh, it's It's sort of like watching the 1930s all over again, except instead of Germany trying to reshape Europe by force, it's Russia. And we had a great power uh, in the Pacific uh, that was involved in this kind of activity. We have something like that with China again. But, you know, the Japanese, uh, you know, decisions were shaped by watching the Germans be successful in 1939, 40, and 41. Uh, and I think the Chinese are the same. I mean, I, I think if they see us fail, uh, in Ukraine. They see NATO fails. Not just us. We're in there with a vast alliance of countries that uh, are spending billions of dollars. We are too. And uh, of course, as usual, we're the lead horse. But uh, proportionately, the Poles are doing as much as us. The little countries in the Baltic are doing as much as us. Uh, the Brits are like the British always are. You know, if there's a fight, they'll be with you. You can count on it. Uh, the Canadians have sent uh, materiel and money. The French, the Germans. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Alliance, But if that alliance fails in Ukraine, if we think that we won't see the, the Chinese do something in Taiwan, uh, then I, I think we're misreading history. So on this one, there actually is great bipartisan support. Now, there are critics, and that's legitimate. I mean, this is foreign policy. This is America. Um, there are people on the left, uh, progressives, uh, that don't like it. There are people on the right uh, and the Republican uh, thing that worry about it for exactly the reasons you suggest this could be wider and those are valid concerns but I think at the end of the day uh, you know we got a bully uh, people have got to stand up to him 
The Ukrainians have shown us they're willing to fight and take casualties. The Russians have lost, according to our intelligence, in a year, well over 200,000 casualties, over 100,000 dead. Think of that. We lost 2,500 people in Afghanistan in 20 years. Um, you know, uh, so this is war on a World War II scale in a particular theater. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, again, this was Putin's decision. He launched it. He was warned not to do it. It's not like we, we said we would respond. We, we're not going to send American troops. They're not a NATO ally. We don't owe a response. But we think if he succeeds, uh, then our own allies will be in danger. And they think that. Again, they're the same. We, we didn't have to encourage the Poles. The Poles live right next to Ukraine. So they, if those guys don't make it, we're right next to Russia again. We know what that means for us. We've lived that life during the 20th and, and uh, century, and uh, we don't want to go there again. Same, and, and look at the other countries that have historically been neutral, like uh, Finland and Sweden. They're not NATO members. They want, they're joining now uh, because they don't trust Vladimir Putin, and they see what's happening. And these are people that stayed out of the NATO-Russian um, uh, face-off, uh, literally since, you know, the late 40s all the way until the invasion of Ukraine. Within a matter of weeks, both those countries made the decision to abandon their historic neutrality because they're worried about Putin. Back home, you mentioned earlier about uh, the border crisis, and that's been going on for several years now, uh, even prior to the Biden administration. And are we going to see any progress there? Uh, well, we're going to certainly see the House move aggressively. But, I, you know, I, I, I think this border, we didn't have a border crisis like this. I mean, uh, this wasn't remotely. We, we were having six, seven times the number of people per day crossing that we had uh, when President Trump was president. And that's because President Biden systematically dismantled the Trump policies. He ended what was called the Remain in Mexico policy, which says you can't come in if you're asking for asylum until you prove your case. Uh, so you got to wait a year or so in Mexico. Uh, the, the border wall, of course, was very controversial to Democrats, but it sure looks like a good idea now because people are pouring into the gaps. Uh, you know, the president's asked for increased spending on everything but the border patrol. Uh, so this is a, a Biden crisis. It was created by this administration. And honestly, we're getting on the border exactly what he wants, an open border. And what they're not uh, factoring in, they act as if every person coming across is a refugee that is entitled to be here. Certainly some are. Uh, but also involved in this are drug cartels, human traffickers on a vast scale. Uh, and uh, th th all these problems have gotten worse. We've lost 100,000 people to fentanyl overdose. Almost all of that comes across the southern border. So uh, this, this administration has a lot to answer for. And to me, the first thing is to restore the border security. I'd be willing to look at, quote, unquote, immigration reform as soon as you get us back to where we were in 2020. Uh, you know, we allow a million people legally into this country. And that we are getting two and three and four times that amount annually across the southern border. Uh, and we are pretty generous people. And, uh, look, I always want America to be the the, uh, the beacon of liberty and the and, and the place that people want to go but we can't just have a totally open border and allow drugs human trafficking crime um, on a vast scale to occur and that's what this administration's done so we're gonna we're gonna put a spotlight on it 
Uh, you know, it's interesting to me. I mentioned that the Judiciary Committee was going to go to the border next week. That was announced uh, at the very f first or second day of February. All the Democrats are boycotting going down there. They're boycotting because they don't want to go down and see it. Now, they all trooped down there when Trump was president and talked about, you know, children being abused and all this, which was not happening. Uh, but now they won't go down there when there really is a human crisis of epic proportions underway. And so I, I just, you know, again, uh, Democrats have got to get serious about border security. Uh, and so far they haven't it's because the White House hasn't. Let's talk about the economy a little bit and the things that have happened over the last uh, six months or a year or so. We've got uh, inflation still pretty high. Uh, the Fed's increased interest rates a couple times already, and uh, things are just uh, not looking good. Now, I think the economy, again, is a self-made crisis. The president you know, inherited an economy that was in a V-shaped recovery coming out of COVID with a 1.4% inflation rate. He got it up to 9 uh, we've gotten it back down to between six and seven, so still really high. The Fed targets two. Um, the Fed has raised uh, rates. Actually, I think uh, they had 475. They did it five times last year and one time so far this year, and they're clearly going to continue at every meeting. What's that mean? Uh, well, you know, my son uh, two years ago uh, bought a home. Uh, you know, his interest rate was about 3%. Today, it's pushing seven. Uh, if you are buying today. He was lucky. He got in at just the right time. Uh, you know, you buy a car, anything else, anytime you have to borrow money on a major purchase, you're going to pay a lot more for it. Uh, you go to the grocery store, you know, eggs are up 70%. Who would have thought eggs were going to become a luxury breakfast in yeah. the United States of America? So uh, this is a tax on every single American, and it's a tax, as Democratic economists told us, that uh, was really unleashed by this spending. Uh, I always think of Larry Summers, uh, you know, who was the former uh, Secretary of the Treasury under uh, under uh, Bill Clinton, so he's a Democrat, world-class economist, president of Harvard, warned them, you do this $1.9 trillion uh, American rescue plan, which they did without a single Republican vote, you're going to start inflation. Jason Furman, who was the chairman of the uh, Obama uh, Council of Economic Advisors and one of the best economists in the country, liberal Democrat, you keep this up. This is going to, and so this has happened. This is a policy-induced inflation deal. They'll try and tell you, "Oh my gosh, it's a disrupted supply chain." It's not. We've poured money into a recovering economy, overheated it, um, uh, and the Democrats did this all on their own. They did it with bill after bill after bill. Now we, we're going to stop it uh, with a Republican House, which will not do those things. And I think the, the Fed has told us we're just going to keep raising interest rates until we get this thing down to two. But we're going to go through a lot of pain and suffering along the way that we didn't have to, except Democrats were, uh, and the Biden administration, uh, you know, was determined to, to explode the deficit. And uh, now every family in America is paying for it on everything they have to, to buy, to put on their table or put clothes in their family or to have transportation move or energy. It's just it's outrageous and it's bad policy they were warned against. Right. Uh, fuel prices, uh, again, uh, in Oklahoma, $3.50 plus cents a gallon. Yeah, and it's then, moving <clears throat> up again. And, uh, you know, and thank goodness uh, Mother Nature's work with us. Natural gas prices are low because we, yeah. we didn't have nearly as cold a winter as we normally have in the Northeast. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, natural gas prices rip around nine dollars per million cubic feet down to about two dollars. Yeah, this I week. think two eleven yeah. this morning. Yeah. So 
all that, uh, you know, that's probably not good if you're in the natural gas industry, but it's certainly good for all of us who heat and cool our homes and, and use a lot of natural gas, and that's a big deal for us in Oklahoma. We're, we're a big natural gas state in terms of our electrical grid. But, uh, again, that, that's supply and demand, and, and mo- most of what we're seeing in terms of prices the Biden administration is clearly responsible for. And you weren't happy with the president's uh – Failure to mention the energy industry in the State of the Union address. I was not. I mean, this is, again, uh, why in the world are we going around begging the Iranians and the Venezuelans who hate us uh, to produce more energy and while we're suspending the Keystone Pipeline, which would have brought Canadian energy into our country and into the global marketplace because it's refined here and then we, we take our share and export it out. Uh, you know, why are we making it hard for people to find oil and gas on or to explore and get permits on federal land? Uh, and then we attack the very industry that as high as our energy is, boy, go to England, go to Europe, go to South America. We have the cheapest energy in the world outside of a few petro states like Saudi Arabia or the United Arab Emirates or those kind of folks. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, this industry, that which has done a spectacular job in lowering energy costs and making us secure to be the target of vilification, uh, you know, it's just outrageous. Uh, uh, you know, they get attacked every time they turn around and told that uh, they're destroying the planet and they, they're, we're going to get rid of them. Uh, first president said in two years. Now he said, well, probably take at least 10. And so I want him to keep investing and drilling and working hard and then. But then we're going to put them out of business if we can. Look, we get 80% of our energy from carbon-based energy. We should do everything we can to make it cleaner. We should always be diversifying our energy supply. We do a lot of that in Oklahoma with wind. At the end of the day, this industry is not going away. Uh, and uh, the things that the Biden administration has done make life worse for the average American, certainly make it worse for the average Oklahoman. Where to get your take on the uh, Chinese weather balloon uh, well, I, saga I'd, that I'd happened? I'd been a lot more impressed if we shot it down coming <laughs> yeah. into America instead of going out. Uh, you know, look, it's provocative. It's unbelievable that, uh, you know, we picked it up in Alaska. We know we can shoot things down over Alaska because we did uh, next weekend. There, as a matter of fact, there was a time every morning I'd get picked up by my staff. Or yeah, every I morning said, there was yeah, something. Yeah. I guess they, well, what did we shoot down last <laughs> night? Uh, so they clearly got the message. The American people were not very happy with this, uh, and they they have every right not to be happy. I mean, you know, we wouldn't have. Even, they didn't tell us. They didn't tell Congress. They spotted this thing and didn't tell anybody until. People on the ground in Montana could see it and wondered what it was, and they finally had to come clean. Well, it's not going to be a problem. We Well, come on. They're flying over where our, our missile silos are at. They went over two or three uh, uh, very sensitive deals. And you said, well, we, we cut off communication. We, well, we, they were still communicating with because they were controlling it. They, you know, they could reach it. So I just think it is a debacle. Uh, in every way, shape. And again, the mere fact that the next time they saw anything and they didn't even know what it was, they started shooting stuff down because the, the politics of it were that, hey, you cannot violate our airspace li- like this. And it's not just ours. I mean, we now know, I mean, 40 odd countries have had these, you know, balloons over them. Uh, this is another Chinese overreach. And, um, we needed to hit back. and But, again, the Biden administration, until they were exposed, they were going to send our secretary of state on to China. They weren't going to tell us. 
But thank God some people in Montana looked up and said, what in the heck is that flying over our state? And then the politics of it break out. But I just think it's been mishandled. All right. So, again, the the Congress uh, session is just underway, but a lot of folks are already looking to uh, the 2024 election. And uh, what do you think uh, about the possibility that uh, Donald Trump might be uh, running again? Well, I think he is running again. He certainly said he is. And, uh, of course— what do, uh, And what do you think about that? Well, I think that's fine. Look, I, I, look he's got a strong record to run on. He's always a controversial— uh, president and uh, you know he's a polarizing figure. He excites Republicans, but he excites Democrats too <laughs> in very different ways. But I think, look, I, I'm happy for Americans to have choices. I was pleased to see Nikki Haley get in. Uh, some some other folks I think highly of. I served with Mike Pence in the House. I served with uh, Mike Pompeo in the House. Uh, they're they're both excellent people. There's all kinds of rumors. Chris Sununu, who I, I don't know uh, Governor Sununu from New Hampshire well, but I know his brother, who was a, a U.S. senator, his dad, who was a George H.W. Uh, Bush's chief of staff well, and actually uh, his uh, youngest uh, brother, a guy named Mike, worked for me back in the early 1990s when I ran the committee. So I love the Sununu family. So I, I'm, I'm happy for these people to all get in, and then I, I just trust the Republican primary voters to make the right choice. I mean, they, they generally are pretty smart about who's the right person is, and uh, they're going to make their own mind up. So, hey, give them some choices, let them listen to debates, and we'll be fine. It'll be interesting for sure. Okay, 20 years for you in Congress. That's, uh, that's quite a history. It's a long time. I'll be what first. Keeps, what keeps you going? You know, I love the job. And I love the district. I, I think this, my family's lived in or immediately next to, mostly in this district for over 175 years. Uh, and uh, so, number one, I love love this area. Uh, number two, I've gotten to the point, look, I'm chairman of the Rules Committee, which is pretty important. Uh, and we haven't had a chairman here for many, many years. I probably will have a chance to be the top Republican or chairman of the Appropriations Committee in two years. So I think I can be effective for the country, for the district, certainly for the state. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, again, I I enjoy what I'm getting privileged to do, but I recognize, hey, there's more of my career in the rearview mirror than there is in the windshield. So that's okay, but I want these last few years to count, and I'm in a position to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's anything more important than representing the views, the values, and the interests of the people of 4th District. And I've tried to do that well, and they've, they've been very good to me, and I'd, I'd like to deliver for them uh, throughout the time that I have left. Congressman Tom Cole joining us on our program this morning. Tom, thank you so much. Hey, thank you.